Let's, uh, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word. We'd ask that you bless us in it. In your son's name, amen. You're always looking for that special passage for Super Bowl Sunday. And then you realize, I've been going through Ephesians. There is 14 verses left to the end of the book. If I stopped now, what would they do? Especially when it's one of those passages that people are very familiar with, the whole armor of God situation. And I would like to, I'd like to remind us that sometimes our, our brains play tricks on us. We, we get caught up in an interpretation not one that is wrong or bad for you, but you can't shake the mindset. When I was little and Ephesians 6 would be going, gone through and there'd be something on the flannel graph of a Roman soldier and you could put the breastplate on and the shield and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I, I can't shake that. And it's, it's there in the text. It's telling you about accoutrement that soldiers put on. But I think because we stop thinking of what Ephesians has been doing, what Ephesians has been pushing the church toward, we step into that passage with probably more stress. Let me admit something about... Uh, um, pastors and teachers. You're always looking for good jokes, good illustrations. And what could be better than Jesus giving a parable? It's got an illustration built in. What could be better than St. Paul saying, let's talk about this in terms of armor? Because you feel like you can cut the flannel graph figures out yourself. You know how to make this He's always hoping to make this be a, a living, teaching circumstance for the hero. But sometimes the illustration takes over. Um, it tells us in Ephesians 6, verse 10, here the first verse on the right-hand side. Finally, this is the end of his instructions to the saints about different kinds of submission, husbands, wives, children, parents, masters, slaves. And then he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You can almost feel the riptide of Christian usage pulling you out to sea on this verse. Be strong in the Lord. Right? Sounds good. Get it on a t-shirt. Be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. But if we haven't been spending time in Ephesians, we lose track of what he... Remember, he has no Christianity back before him. Okay? This is St. Paul. There was no Christendom... There was no history of Charles Spurgeon or Dwight Moody or C.S. Lewis or, or centuries of Christians doing anything. 
this was coming out of him. What was that? I think I mentioned it before. There's somebody who objected to Shakespeare because it was filled with too many cliches. St. <laughs> Paul doesn't know he's saying something. Be strong in the Lord. That makes him feel the way you feel about the verse. And it's not that the way you feel is wrong or incorrect. But don't forget what Ephesians has been telling you. If you look back to Ephesians 1, everything for 12 verses, 13 verses, is in Christ. Everything is in Christ. Our whole salvation, the reason, the distinction between us being in Christ by faith and the law being ministered by us to the God is the distinction between Christianity or a religion that is built by God in you or you offering something, the set of rules, the set of rituals that you're offering back to him. But in him is where all these things exist. So when he says, be strong in the Lord, it's not a throwaway spiritual line in the Lord. But that's where your strength must be. And in the strength of his might. I want to remind you of a passage in Ephesians 3, I think it is. Maybe it's not Ephesians 3. Can I not see it? I don't know where it is on the page. Um. Oh, yeah, here it is. Staring right at it. Ephesians 3, 11. This was according to the eternal purpose which he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom... Okay, he realized it in Christ, and then we, in whom... We have boldness and confidence of access through our faith in him. So our faith in him puts us in whom these things happen. So when I stop to say, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, I'm not throwing, I don't want to throw away the first three chapters of Ephesians, the book this occurs. Because he's finally, brethren, be strong here. This is where your Christian life sits in strength. I want to take you back to Ephesians 1, the long, unending sentence at the end of chapter 1. I want to start with verse 15. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. This, this is not just a throwaway platitude. This is not just Christian chat. Be strong in the Lord. 
Ever see those videos by those guys who speak Christianese, shoot Christians, say, things like that? Guard her heart, brother. Guard her heart. We, we, we know how to talk this way. We know how to say things that sound like we mean something. But he had asked in chapter 1 that we would be enlightened in wisdom and revelation, that we'd know the hope to which we've been called, the glorious inheritance of the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe according to the working of his great might. It's almost verbatim. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's an easy verse to say, yes, that's great. Put that on my Facebook feed at the beginning of the day. Be strong in the Lord with the strength of his might. But he's talking about something. He is, wants you to realize the extent to which you have salvation. So that you, in Christ, live a life that is an honoring life to the gospel. Because he goes on to say, in, in chapter 1, say, this is not a good practice, Evan, that you get to the last 14 verses of the book, and then you go start again. Sorry. Had to refer back. According to the working of his great might, verse 20 of chapter 1, which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at his right hand in the heavenly places. So this is the working of his great might. I'm supposed to know all about this. It's an immeasurable power in us. It's in Christ. It's because of the resurrection and his glorification. Just break the sentence apart, and when it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, you know what you're thinking about. That your place in Christ is your knowledge, your wisdom, your understanding of your world, based on the fact that Jesus Christ came to earth, died, was raised, and is seated at the right hand of God. It's not you trying to figure out some special deeper walk program to get you going as a Christian. St. Paul was praying that they would get to this point. Far above, now he says, made him sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, in case you don't remember, that part of the things that the church was here to do, the church, this, this, this mystery hidden for ages, the gospel of the Gentiles by faith, that everyone could step into God and God would remake them. God would... would would turn their lives around. He would make religion. Part of it is the heavy knife fight in dark places, in heavenly places. Christ was going to defeat the princes. Okay? We so often will be reading our way through at a... a, a a letter of Paul, and I'll have so many practical things, we start to see everything as practical, or practical in the mundane sense. But he just said that all of this was being done 
to make him far above all rule and authority. And then in chapter 3, to make all men see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. It seems like this is on his mind. Now, I'm saying this now because we're in the last 14 verses of the book in which he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil and don't go all post John Milton on me. Don't start, oh yeah, I've heard of the devil. He wants me to drink too much. He wants me to be immoral. I'm sure if he had an opinion about you and your sins, he might. But this is not what this book is about. This book is the contending of God in the heavens by his Christ, in which he made the religion, where he proved to the princes that he was in charge. He said that at the end of... um, um, Well, I've got some verses here on the left-hand side. Ephesians 3.10, or I just read to you. Romans 8, how nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. The New Testament writers were far more conscious of the things that have set themselves up to war with God. This is about that war. This is not about you drinking too much. Stop it if you do. This is not about you sleeping around, but stop it if you do. Those are just sins. You're just a sinner. You probably could take care of that yourself in terms of your own temptation. You don't need a devil. The devil, what does it say? That you may be able to stand. This whole armor of God, remember that from the final graph? I wish I had one just to throw these things up there. Remind you. So you can stand against the wiles of the devil and immediately we circle the drain going down to what common Christian notions are of the devil. But he then says, for we are not contending against flesh and blood. That's why you have to stand against the wiles of the devil because you're not in a physical fight. And then everybody insists on making the enemy of the church the physical fight. The culture, the public school system, um, uh, the IRS, I don't know. Just everything. Everything material. We've got to stop and go, but we've just been called to the strength of his might in him. To be strong in it. That means that we're going to be operating, putting on this armor, operating for his interests, not so that you will be perceived by the common culture as a strong agent, well, they might perceive you that way, but that's not what you're trying to do. We contend with principalities against powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Powers exist above man, below God, and they ran the world. 
All the nations had a prince. The devil may have been the prince of Rome. We don't know for certain, but there's some hints to that effect in, in the scriptures. That when the dragon falls from heaven and stands on the shores of the sea, what comes up out of the sea looks just like the dragon. This is Revelation. And it's Rome. Tells you it's Rome. So you don't have to believe that sort of thing, but you have to believe that what God is doing is he's not wrestling a secular culture to the ground. His death on the cross took care of sin once for all. Okay? Now he's just got to beat up a few principalities. Now he's got to show where his lordship is. And our experience in Christ, we're sometimes going to be the victims of the princes trying to do bad things to Jesus Christ. They were in Rome. Paul died wearing his armor, standing before Caesar. These are spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. When we stand against the wiles of the devil, it's not to keep you from getting drunk. You should keep you from getting drunk. The Holy Spirit should keep you from getting drunk. The devil is not a low-rent, red-horned, tempter of common sin. I don't want to ever undercut the, the, the devil is somebody glorious. And you better respect him. But our battle is at that level. Therefore, he starts to says, put on the whole armor of God so you can be able to stand against the devil because we're fighting this bigger battle at bigger levels. People that were supposed to be learning back in chapter 3, they might be made known to the principalities and powers the mystery of God. What he is doing in you, what he's doing in you, is the mystery of God. That he did it by faith is the mystery of God. That he did it by Christ and his resurrection and his ascension to be glorified is what he's attempting to show to the principalities and powers. Your life is not just you being courageous in the whatever grade you're in, or whatever job you're in, to stand for Jesus, which is good to do. But that's not what this is about. This is about a little bit bigger situation. Do you, the armor you wear, does it represent the faith? Not does it represent someone who wants to be you know, a Mark Driscoll about everything. I have a little note here that having done all to stand in the church today because we are a free society and Christians tragically are not fed to the lions. Because wouldn't it be much better for the church if we were? Wouldn't it be much better if not just people would take away our tax deduction, take away our lives, comparing ourselves to the jihadists who would like to blow themselves up for the favor of their God. We get blown up for the favor of our God. It would be good for us probably but in the absence of that, with Christianity free, I mean, here we meet 
in a building, and there's another building over there, another building over there, and the church is all over town. Some right, some wrong. But nobody's, no Gestapo are kicking the doors down. And yet we still feel the need to be tough about it, to be that masculine Christian with, I thought it was too sweet that we could come up with a CrossFit shirt. Cross? Eh. And what do you, I mean, I, I, I jotted down some notes here so you could take them home with you and maybe have one made. Uh, a bad use of a Bible verse, that's really necessary. Kind of bad print job, I think those are probably also necessary for really edgy shirts. And broken wings, that's always good. And chains. And something about cross-fit. We're not cross-fit, we're fit for the cross. Because <laughs> we could be tasteless, as, bad, as you know, we could be just awful. Some people actually believe that that is the witness. That is what we're here, we're taking on the culture. Sometimes adopting their language, I, it's not a moral problem, I, just, I don't have that kind of aesthetic. I think it too easily, but I don't have it. But what I want to bring up to you is so that you, you go into this, we haven't talked about the whole armor of God yet. He says, put it on, because this is the kind of job you're about, so put it on. And the task that you are to be putting it on to do, is you're able to stand against those things. Stand against that work, the old system that God had running the world, which the princes did, combined with the wickedness of man. But it's so much in the scripture. I gave you Ephesians 3, Romans 8, Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And in Colossians 2, he disarmed the principalities and powers and made public example of them, triumphing over them in him. This armor that you have been issued, that you are told to put on, is part of your fight, God's fight, regarding the princes, not anything else. Not that it can't help you. But it's important that you know who the objective is, who the target is, who the enemy is spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So it's not just you getting a cool t-shirt. Not just you um, getting involved in some active positive ministry that shows that Christians too can be caring. Do it if you want. But that's not this. This is putting on the armor of God and consequently I want to think less about the armor illustration because that's too tempting for a pastor. Quick and easy illustration. A shield. What does a shield do? What does a breastplate do? You know, and I've heard this too many times, it protects your heart. Am I looking meaningfully enough at you? Do I, I mean, do my eyes care? I don't care what a breastplate does. Oh, and the helmet of salvation. It's a legitimate illustration. I don't blame Paul. I mean, he'd probably go, what are you doing, Evan? It was a good illustration. 
I want you to think about what it is that's the breastplate. Because it's far more important that not that you think of your Christian life in martial terms. It's far more important that you know what the martial task is and why, what does he say? Stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth. And we go running off after, okay, that means I got to have the little Roman soldier skirt. I actually girded my loins, it's like getting a good leather scabbard on there and then having put on the breastplate of righteousness and we're thinking about breastplates and we forget about righteousness. We forget about truth. You know how important, how important the truth is. Do you know what the truth is? I made a comment on the the Facebook. That's how old people speak of things. You put the word the in front of it. The Walmart, the Costco, the Facebook. I made a comment this week where it just said, you already know what love is, Skippy. You just don't know what's true. And because you don't know what's true, because we do not stop and go, oh, this is kind of cool that Christianity is thought of in martial terms. No, get the truth. Even if you were just to go back through Ephesians and start, okay, what's he saying in this sentence? Now he has run on sentences, but what is he saying? He is saying that the strength of God is in Christ, not platitudinously, but actually. And that I in him by faith, and faith in his resurrection and his glorification. I can pull those things out because I want to know what's true. I want to believe something actual. And having the breastplate of righteousness... Breastplate of righteousness. It says in John, he who does right is righteous. In other words, you have been forgiven. No kid, no, no doubt. All of us have been. We like talking about imputation of righteousness. That is a kind of form of righteousness in that God forgives us. It does not stand against us any longer because of the death of Christ. But righteousness that he wants as he who does right is righteous. Have you set yourself to stop thinking about the breastplate and start thinking about the righteousness? And because we still think in terms of of flesh and blood, we think of how these things are affecting the world around us. Our sociology professor or our, um, our, our friend that we're witnessing to, all of which are good to think about But we are told explicitly that our contention is not there. Your righteousness will matter with agents who are far bigger, higher than you. That you owe respect to regardless of their wickedness. They are there and your righteousness has to be actual righteousness. We tend to think, because we're Americans and there's a First Amendment, it's the breastplate of our rights in the First Amendment. I have a right to worship who I want. I have a right to freedom of religion. And oh my gosh, they're closing down Christian bakers who are going to not make a a baked wedding cake for a gay couple. 
Ah, persecution. Okay, that's bad. That's not our battle. It happens. Be far better for the Christians to be more true and more righteous. Not little, you know. Not a problem with appealing to uh, what St. Paul appealed to Caesar because he had rights as a Roman citizen. Not a problem with appealing to Caesar for your rights. But I want you to make sure that when you're looking at Ephesians 6, you're thinking of it as the battle instructions for the battle he told you you had. Not the battle you would like to take it into or the battle that seems to be arranged for your culture in your day where you can go down and get a custom shirt done with a bad Bible verse on it. So what are you supposed to look like at the end? Not how shiny is the armor and not did you keep on using the illustration for yourself of the armor when you weren't using the actuality of the thing that is the armor that he's speaking of. I'm supposed to be girded with truth breastplated with righteousness, having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace. You are supposed to be thinking of the gospel to move you along that it's a gospel of peace, not a gospel of of the thrill of being part of a movement. Too often, revivalism and movement-driven Christianity all wants to get the movement going. They want the gospel of success, the gospel of ambition, the gospel of doing something for the kingdom of God. The gospel is the gospel of peace. Every man needs it. Every man wants it. We preach it. And you should be moved by it. Besides all these taking the shield of faith. Our temptation is to have a retaining, a retainer on Alliance Defending Freedom instead of being protected by faith, knowing that you could stand before Caesar and he could go, uh, your faith, do you believe? Not will someone come in and protect you Again, I think the Alliance Defending Freedom is probably a good group. Davis had looked at working for them at one point. But we as Christians are given this armor that you're supposed to, you know how we talked about earlier in the book, that this is a dipstick that runs into your life. Are you, how much truth do you know? How do you see it as truth? Did you see it as orthodoxy? In other words, what our church or your family or whomever the best friends you have, lean on. Is that what's true to you? Or do you know it's true? Do you know the difference between things you know to be true and things that you speak of as true? Same with your righteousness. Is it righteous? By God's standards, righteous? Do you think of the gospel and the Christian spread of the gospel as taking peace? Like when it says the love of Christ compels us. We... We are moved by something. What are you moved by? Do you believe? With which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. And we like to think, at least I like to think, that my Sunday school teachers were devout, and they always had this picture, I think, out of 
uh, one of the additions of uh, John Bunyan's uh, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, there was somebody, maybe it was Christian, or underneath a shield, down on the ground, and the devil is throwing, I mean horns, throwing flaming darts at Christian under his shield of faith, which is a, just continues the imagery. But let yourself know that you are supposed, it's not really a great shield if your faith is not without doubting. Let him ask with faith, with no doubting. We need to have belief. You need to check your belief. The flaming darts of the evil one are probably more like a Roman prosecutor examining Paul in front of Caesar and calling him to account for what he believes and you are going to say, nobody's wondering about talking you out of it, they're just trying to find out if you did it. Great, very polite letters from Pliny in Bithynia, a proconsul up there to the Emperor Trajan, who's one of my favorites. But a very nice set of letters about what do you do about Christians, huh? Yeah, they're a problem. And Trajan's very, very pleasant. You know, don't chase them down. Never accept somebody's, you know, turning them in secretly, anonymously. That's just, that's just not done. Polite people don't do that. But if you do catch one and he won't recant, you got to kill him. I mean, you, I mean, you got it. He wouldn't say he was sorry. He wouldn't turn around. He gave him every opportunity to offer incense to the genius of Caesar. And this was the politeness. And what are you going to do? The early church had people denying Jesus Christ so much so that the the, 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 the elders, the bishops were doing it and that's where the Donatist heresy came up was how do you get these guys back in the church after they denied Jesus Christ under torture and you said, well I'm pretty sure I would what are you going to do? you might want to check your faith do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? do you believe he made all these principalities who are using their political nation state to run Christians to ground and put them in the impossible position of living or dying on the basis of what they say. This is about persecution. This is not about the witness on the U of I campus. The flaming darts of the evil one were flaming because of that. And take the helmet of salvation. So you list those things. You've got truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All of these things you need to examine, not presume, and not just trying to figure out how do I make this into a breastplate? No. Just have it. It will be a breastplate. It will be a shield. I just have to be sure that I've got it. I, I just have to be sure I'm saved. Have I believed the gospel? I've called on the name of the Lord. And here's someone telling you to be having the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, before there was a New Testament. And most people didn't have the Old Testament. 
Certainly not the Greek church, not the people in Ephesus. Some people would have access to scriptures and the like, but not like you do. So why does he tell you that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God? Because the Word of God has come to you in other ways as well. You've heard the Word of God preached to you by someone who brought to you the Gospel. And you know that's what you believed, and you can recount that same message. It's not a quotation of a Bible verse. It can be. But this is not in a world where Zondervan and InterVarsity Press and Thomas Nelson are publishing Bibles for you. Only if someone sat down and wrote it out by hand did they have a copy. So how is the sword of the Spirit, <coughs> which is the Word of God? And you know, in Christian, it's part of your communion with God. This is why you are in Christ by faith. Your faith puts you in Christ. In Christ is where all the goodness and the power and the might exist. This is about standing before persecutors in your armor with the summation of Christianity present in you. You see it when St. Paul was before Agrippa. You see it when he's with Festus or Felix. I think it was Felix. Where he's talking about justice, self-control, and future judgment. And it bugs the proconsul no end. I mean, he's witnessing to the guy. He knows that he's standing. He's in jail. And what does he testify to Agrippa? Enough that Agrippa says, Paul, you think in a short while to make me a Christian. Because what was in his armor, where he stood, he says, having done all to stand, this is why we stand. says to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication now again I, I don't want to see you making rules out of over specifying a verse because if I took this and walked over here with it and it says pray at all times and I combine it with pray without ceasing you're going to get some sort of over pietist being um, saying you know everything you do is a prayer because you got to be praying all the time, right? You pray at all times. So what? Are you, are you praying now? Or are you listening to me? You better be listening to me. No praying. Well, the point, stay on the topic. There is, especially when people have prayer time, other religions, you know, certain religions pray five times a day towards Mecca. Other Christians might have a prayer time that you get up at a certain point, have your coffee, have your prayer time. Pray at all times. Why pray at all times? With prayers and supplications is to this end, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. It's something about what's going on in the church, I have to be alert about, so I'm ready to offer prayers at any moment. It's not with a religious or a ritual function. To that end, I have to persevere and have to be alert to what's going on with the believers. And also for me, in case you were doubting that Evan was right, that this was persecutorial, he actually applies this instruction 
to them that they might pray for him because he said earlier in the book, chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. And he gets to the end of this and saying, pray for me too. Because your prayers are alert to the need of the saints to have this armor that they can stand against the princes who are trying to tear Christianity down. Because the thing of faith, the thing of God that is done in Christ is far more uprooting of all things before. It's not just it replaced Judaism, it replaced everything. Pray for me also, and look what it says, that utterance may be given me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. What is what talking about the whole book? The mystery of the gospel to stand before powers in Rome and boldly declare the mystery. Because we are here to make known to the princes and powers what is the mystery. That's what the church is for. That's why we wear the armor. We need it for this stuff. You just need a little bit of, you might say, personal standards to not sin as much as you do. You don't need the armor. You need the armor for this. This is, this is Christianity on the front lines against those things that are powerful. And Paul wants their prayers for him, being he's in jail. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly. And you could, there's the passage. You thinking about that t-shirt still? That you're going to get made? With the broken wings? And the ambassador in chains. Because... You're a dope. It could be black, too, with white printing. There's your verse, misinterpreted. That I may declare it boldly. This is what you would be. Just think of that. I know what's true. I know I, I live what's right. I believe in Jesus Christ. I have faith. I have salvation. I know what God has said. I can make any pro-counsel feel a little uncomfortable. Because we're here to demonstrate Christ's victory over those other religious trends, whether it's Judaism or paganism or whatever else. We are faith in God and Christ. This is the great mystery. And now that you also may know how I am, what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this last thing is the thought I just kind of wanted to leave you with at the end of the book. End of the thought, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love undying. Because that's where it stands. Do you have faith in Christ? Because all of this is in him. This religion is being built in you by him. This religion was built in him that when I stand in him, I have it. He is the one that is the religion. He is the one that makes the religion. I cannot jot up some new ideas to make this religion cooler, hipper, better, more acceptable to God. Christ is the acceptable thing. And if you love him with love undying, 
Check. I mean, I'm not you. I don't know if you think of him as someone real, or is he just the titular head of this thing we call Christianity? We were talking last night, I think, about Mormonism and, and how weird their religion is. And you gotta, you gotta be honest. Ours is weirder. We are claiming a Jew killed 2,000 years ago is God. Okay, just let There's not a t-shirt in the world that can convey that. Just how weird that is. Is it true? Do you love him with love undying? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. You are good to us. We'd ask that we we go to the base of our being in you and in your son and know what we have in him and in the strength of his might that we would flush out the things he has brought to us that of all things we'd be able to stand before those powers that are against you Lord in the heavenly places the spiritual hosts of wickedness we'd ask that we would be faithful in those moments whether we're persecuted or not and that also, Lord, that we would then be faithful preaching the gospel to those who need your son's gospel of peace. And in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.